look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Very fortunate today to uh, have Miles Ziblock with us. He's the chief investment strategist of Dynamic Funds, and Miles is a recurring guest on the show. And it's probably time to take a bit of a pause, a breather, and talk a little bit about some of the activity we've seen early in 2018 and maybe even a little bit about what we expect going forward in 2018. But first of all, let's welcome Miles to the show. Thanks for taking some time with us today, Miles. Hi, Dave. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate being on the show. Well, and your timing is uh, is good for being on the show. It's been an interesting start to the year, and, uh, and <laughs> yep. maybe we're going to start our conversation uh, around that. Now, uh, let me sort of set the, 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 the framework, if I can. Um, volatility has been absent for probably two years, right? So a lot of people, I think investors, get have been lulled into this false sense of, uh, of security, that things just kind of steadily go up with very, very, very mild little pullbacks. And then all of a yeah, sudden, I mean, that's you know that that that's correct. Just you know, w- w- stop you right there because yeah. I, I think you know the incredibly unusual nature of the past couple of years has been the complete absence of volatility. Um, you know, if if you look through time, Dave, uh, going back, let's say fifty, sixty years, what you typically experience. Every given year is is a pretty sizable correction in the equity market, whether it's good years or bad years, yeah. of about thirteen and a half percent. So last year we didn't even have you know basically a th- or the last twelve fifteen months we haven't even had a three to five percent correction until just you know uh, a week or so ago. Yeah. So it it really had been very abnormal to see this lack of volatility in the financial markets. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to take that and sort of put, give you the narrative that when we're talking to people, um, say, over the past couple of years, if you've been in a balanced portfolio, like if you in 2016, of course, were 100% invested in the TSX, you had a party. And if uh, you were smart enough at the end of the year to sell everything there and move everything into the, uh, you know, the, the Dow or the S&P in 2017, boy, we had another party again. But if you were a, any kind of a balanced strategy, um, many people feel they've missed that party. I call it FOMO, Miles, you know, this fear of missing out, right? Yeah. And it's, it's been building over two years uh, for people. Now, um, what we have, the conversations we have on a local level with lots of people in Calgary is this kind of this, this capitulation to pile on, right? How come we're not 100% invested in stocks now and what could possibly go wrong? I'd really love for you to sort of address that on the heels of what you've just said from a strategy perspective. So, you know, you're absolutely right. People, you know, it's it's human nature to, I guess, to, you know, think of, you know, your next trade as is looking in the rearview mirror and saying, well, my next trade should be what happened in the last little bit. But I think what's more important for people to to do is to take a step back and really think about their strategic long-term goals, what they're trying to accomplish with their investment portfolios. And that really, you know, shouldn't change all that much from year to year. Um, Like you say, you know, because the last 12 months were, you know, the the markets went kind of vertical. Now you think, well, I I should have been there. But then look at then, 
the last week when the market dropped, yep. when the S&P 500 dropped 11% in a few days, then everyone goes, oh, my God, I should never you know, invest in stocks ever again. And it's this flip-flop thing. I think what you have to do is abstract or take a step back from these daily machinations in the market and say, what am I really trying to accomplish with my portfolio over the long term? Are my financial goals, are they, you know, can I reach my financial goals given, you know, how I'm structured today? And obviously your investment advisor can help you with that. But the whole point is, is that, you know, these short term blips here and there going either up or down shouldn't really change your strategic outlook. If you're, you know, if you're a balanced portfolio, you know, if you have a balanced portfolio and you're looking for five to seven percent kinds of returns over the next several years, you should stick to that knitting. Uh, and, and and just not get caught up with you know the daily or the weekly noise that's coming out of you know CNBC and BNN and the markets themselves. So you know that's my perspective. My perspective is to stay grounded, uh, to not let because markets are volatile. They're, they're volatile both upwards and downwards. Um, but if you're looking, you know, if you have that sort of look-through vision um, to look through the volatility, I I, I don't really think that. The last week, the last month, the last year, the last three years should change your 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 plans in a significant degree. So I'm glad you said that because uh, you know Faisal and I maybe sound like a bit of a broken record here over the last little while talking about strategy and reinforcing strategy and you know you've got to have the goals and build a strategy towards that. Um, and it's nice you know to sort of hear you go down that path as well. And I think. I think investors generally need to be very, very careful about making a strategy change. So, for instance, if you're a balanced investor, Miles, and you decide, listen, I need to really ratchet up my equity exposure and take down my bond exposure, so you're not making a tactical change here, you're making a strategy change, you need to be very, very careful that you don't walk into those 10 11% drops and then experience something on the downside, a risk level, that you simply weren't prepared for. Well, I think that's exactly the case. I mean, you know, um, especially when it comes to the equity side of that balanced portfolio, we have to understand that equities are a very, very volatile asset class that the last, let's call it 12 to 15 months is very uncharacteristic of the behavior of equities through time. Uh, you know, 10, 15 percent you know, drops in the equity market are very, very common. You know, once a year, I said, over the last, outside of last year, basically once a year over the last 50 or 60 years. And so, you know, a balanced portfolio should should be balanced. I mean, if, if you're if you're trying to chase yesterday's returns, I think you're going to get, end up getting yourself in a whole heap of trouble because now you're starting to diverge from your long-term strategic discipline. So, you know, for me, if I have a strategic plan and I'm looking at aiming, you know, I'm worried about my retirement and my kids' education and, you know, paying for that and all these sorts of things, I don't think, you know, I should really be monkeying around with my strategic asset allocation all that much based on, you know, the whims of the market last week, last month, whatever. So I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you that that I think having a long-term vision is is critical to achieving investment success. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. That wasn't really where I wanted to start the conversation, but it's been such an interesting series of conversations. And and here's the takeaway as we finish this particular point, and and then we'll move on. But um, what's abnormal is what we experienced over the two years in the absence of volatility. What is normal is what we experienced you know, over the last two weeks. And I think it's important for people to take that away. So let's talk a little bit about that. So um, uh, the first little bit of 2018. So obviously we hit 
uh, a bit of a, um, a moment of volatility. Um, maybe you can explain to us, back it kind of up, explain to us what started the nervousness here in the markets, and then we can build on that as we look forward uh, into the rest of 2018. Sure. That's, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you always sound like a genius. Yeah. So um, I'm going to help, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back here and say I sound like a genius. But I think what was really going on, it started a couple months ago or a few months ago before the correction really took hold, is that is that if you looked across the fixed income universe or the bond markets around the world, they started to sell off or weaken in price, which means that bond yields were starting to rise. And in fact, bond yields were rising rather rapidly. So over a very short period of time, say the 10-year bond for the U.S., so 10-year Treasury bond and similar in, in the government of Canada bond market, we were up about 40 basis points uh, or half, close to half a percent uh, in, in a very short period of time. Now, why were these bond yields starting to rise? I, I think that bond yields around the world were starting to rise because uh, there was growing indication uh, that maybe we're you know, at the early stage of a bit of a pickup in inflation. So both, you know, in inflation in, in both in, in all, actually in all the major developed markets, we're seeing a little more inflation. So the bond market was, you know, becoming respectful of this risk of rising inflation. So they started to uh, bid down the prices of these bonds and bid up the yields of these bonds. And then it got a little unruly in the sense that bond yields really started to ratchet higher. And what that does to equity investors is it makes them start worrying about future growth in the economy, future earnings growth, mm -hmm. and it makes them worry a little bit more about the price they're paying for, for the equities. And so, you know, you have a little bit of valuation concern and a little bit of earnings growth concern because bond yields or interest rates were starting to rise rather rapidly. And I think what that did is that started um, a cascade in the stock market. So the stock market was sort of complacent, as we talked about, in terms of, you know, there was just absolutely no worries in the world. Earnings is great. You know, everything's great. Um, we don't have to worry about central banks, you know, getting crazy and tightening too much. And um, so that's when we had the rapid ascent in stock prices. And yet, you know, the bond market was starting to tell us maybe there is a little bit more to worry about here, at least at the margin. Um, and so I think those concerns in the bond market about inflation started to feed into the stock market. And that's where we got our weakness. So that was step A, where we got some of the weaknesses because of inflation fears. But then that started to feed on itself because I don't know if, if, if everyone's read about the stories about these derivatives or these fancy uh, products in the stock market called volatility contracts. Right. And that's trade. You can actually trade the volatility of stocks through these contracts. And, and effectively, there was some, let's just call it some blood in some corners of the markets that started to appear as a result of these derivatives contracts on volatility. And um, so that this, sort of, this thing sort of snowballed on itself. And, uh, you know, we, we heard some of these volatility ETFs, as they're called, uh, basically had to shut down as a result of what went on. And I think that, that added just to the eeriness that people were feeling about what was going on in markets. And, and this is, again, over a very condensed period of time, over, let's say, uh, a week. Yeah. And, and in that week, because of concerns about inflation, because of the fast sell-off in, in interest rates or bond markets, and because of then the spiraling or the cascading effects as a result of these volatility uh, contracts, 
contracts or derivatives or ETFs. Um, we got this sort of perfect storm for the stock market. And, and again, in blink of an eye, it was down 12%. Okay, uh, let's leave it on that. If that's not a good tease to stick around for the, uh, you know, for the next segment, uh, we got to take a break here. But I do want to encourage you to stick around because we're going to ask Miles a little bit about how to position going forward, knowing what we know now and what is his 20, uh, 2018 outlook. So uh, stick around for that. But before I uh, take a commercial break, I want to remind you that we're going to talk about bulletproofing your retirement. Volatility's back. Uh, it's important through proper structure, as Miles said, proper strategy with a long-term goal in mind to position to ensure that your lifestyle doesn't get affected, affected when this volatility creeps back up. So if you want to join us for our presentation on Tuesday, February the 27th at 7 o'clock at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits, give us a call at 966-8400 or go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You're here with Dave. No Faisal today, but we've got a terrific guest that's carrying over since the uh, the break. We've got Miles Ziblock, who's the Chief Investment Strategist of Dynamic Funds. We talked a little bit before the break, Miles, about uh, you know why some of this volatility has crept up, that it's in fact normal, um, and understood a little bit about what's creating it. Now, let's take a look forward uh, for this particular segment and talk about proper positioning. And maybe keep in mind that... Um, that uh, I'm really interested in not just in the overall macro environment that you see, but I'm interested in positioning particularly for clients who are a little bit older. You know, you're transitioning to, you're living into retirement. You're really nervous about volatility because this, your savings have to support your lifestyle over time. So in the context of that person, Miles, let's talk a little bit about what do you see for the rest of 2018 from an economic perspective? Economically, I think things are looking pretty good. Um, so whether you're you're talking about developed, you know, developed economies like the U.S. Uh, or Europe or Japan or even the emerging markets, we're, we're seeing some pretty strong and synchronized economic growth around the world. In fact, you know, if we look around the world today, about 95% of every country on this planet has positive GDP growth. So the economies are growing, and they're growing pretty much everywhere. And this is probably the you know the period of time we've seen the strongest or, or the str- the period of time where we've seen the strongest growth in at least a decade. So you have you have good you have good economies. Uh, that, there's no question about it. And what that's translating into is strong corporate earnings growth. So whether we're talking about Canada, and you know the latest data out of Canada is is earnings for the TSX companies are up something close to 20% year on year. We're seeing something like 15% earnings growth in U.S. stocks, and we're seeing growth, you know, in pr- pretty much earnings growth everywhere. So that's that's really a good environment right now for you know the stock market, and and, um, and we're seeing that in corporate earnings, and we're seeing you know record amounts of share repurchases mm-hmm. by corporations who've just announced a boatload more share repurchases. And we're also seeing dividends being increased at a, at a pretty good pace. So again, all of this is leading to a fairly positive environment for, uh, for investors in equity markets. Now, what I would like to say is that, you know, if you're a little bit older, obviously your allocation to equities is going to be somewhat lower than, say, you know, uh, a 25 or a 30-year-old. Old. Yeah. But um, what, what I would say is that, you know, in that equity allocation, um, you, you you know, pe- a lot of people have focused on, on just dividend yielding stocks. And, and I would say that you have to re- rethink that because if we're in the situation here where bond yields are con- 
going to continue to rise and rise and rise, um, that those dividend yielding stocks that don't really have a lot of earnings growth, those are susceptible to the rising bond yields that we're seeing around the world. So safety, uh, you know, what was safe 10 years ago or five years ago or three years ago may not be considered safe going forward. So what I would do is have a little look at those, you know, those stocks you own those income-producing stocks you own and say, you know, one way to get a good total return is, yes, you know, dividend yields, but don't rely solely on dividend yields. Rely on what we call uh, dividend-growing stocks or stocks that may not have, you know, a 5% dividend yield, may, may have a 3% dividend yield, but continually grow those dividends over time. So they're called dividend growth stocks. And what that does is that really provides some security or that growth is an offset to the rising bond yield. So again, you know, I would say don't be scared of equities in the sense that, you know, this is probably there's no recession coming, uh, at least what I see over the next 12 to 18 months. So hold on to your equities. But you know, if you're really focused on those yielding companies, maybe think about dividend growth a little bit more than dividend yield. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. One of the surprises for me in 2017, particularly in the U.S. market, is we got earnings growth. We were expecting, again, strong earnings growth. Um, but the P.E. ratios, uh, uh, you know, we're at maybe at the high end of fair value, some would say. Um, when you say we're looking at, you know, 15 and 20 percent earnings growth coming from companies, um, does that immediately translate into fifteen to twenty percent growth in terms of the the uh, their capital base, the stock, the stock values? No, it does. That's a great. No, it doesn't. Um, so when you think about a total return, it's really uh, it, it, you have to add up two components. So one comes from earnings growth, and then one comes from how how much you're willing to pay for that earnings growth or the valuations in the market. So let's just say that you know earnings growth is ten percent, but people want to pay five percent higher five uh, percent uh, higher price for those earnings. Then your total return becomes your earnings growth plus the change in valuation, which is fifteen percent. Now we can go the other way too. Like as you rightfully sort of point out, we are at the high end of valuation ranges. And I suspect that you could get, you know, the risk here is a little bit of valuation compression, meaning that uh, the, the price to earnings multiples in the markets, you know, there is some risk that they, are, they flatten out or they go a little lower. So if you get 15% earnings growth and you get some, you know, you get some valuation compression, you're not going to get 15% out of the stock market. So uh, again, that's, that's really important for people to think of that just because earnings are going up a lot, it's not just earnings that matter it's earnings and then the the willingness people are are are, are you know going to pay for the for dollars worth of earnings so if that sort of deteriorates that can go against your earnings flows and and kind of weigh on total return so again it's a it's a it's a picture you have to think about where where valuations yes they are high where is earnings yes it is strong so you know we're not in that low valuation, strong earnings growth environment we were in several years ago. Right. We are now in a still a strong earnings environment, but we now are facing steeper valuations. So again, that's a little bit more of a, a risk you have to consider when you're thinking about equities. And, and one of the ways to mitigate that risk is look again through your portfolio. And not only about when I brought up dividend growers is one way to mitigate risk against rising interest rates, but think about the valuations you're paying for those companies too. And, and you know, the lower or the cheaper stocks, I think, have a little less embedded risk in them today uh, than they would have otherwise, because, you know, people are getting a little more concerned about where valuations are going. 
Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about this rising interest rate environment that you're talking about. The, perhaps even a, you know a potential synchronization on you know of uh, sort of re, uh, reflating uh, central bank policy, monetary policy. But um, what do you see for bonds then in an environment where we expect rates to be going up? Well, you know, I, I expect we're you know when you have a little bit higher inflation. Right now, inflation is is still low, but it's creeping a little higher. It's still very low historically. I mean, we're below two percent in most most economies around the world uh, where the inflation rates are, but we're we're moving towards two percent. And and the, the problem for bonds uh, for for the bonds is that they were not really priced for pretty much any inflation. Uh, so they are having to readjust that outlook, and as a result, you know, prices are weakening in the bond market, and and the yields are going up. To compensate for that inflation risk. So, you know, where do I think bond yields could go? Well, let's let's take today the 10-year government of uh, the the 10-year bond in say the US, that's sort of the benchmark for the world. Yeah. It's trading at I guess 2.9%, that's the yield uh, for the 10-year bond. Could it get to 3 and a half in 12 to 15 months? I think yes it could. But then there's going to be sort of a limiting aspect to how much these bond yields are going to creep higher. Because firstly, I don't think that inflation is going to be runaway. I just right. think it's picking up from a low ebb. So, so you know, that's going to limit the amount that these bonds are going to sell off. But at the same time, when you have, you know, bond markets around the world that are, that are yielding nothing – like in Germany or Switzerland or in Japan, uh, and you're a global investor, that you know you can only get North American yields going so high before everyone in the world goes, oh my goodness, those are those are really attractive. So they come pouring back into North America, and that's going to limit the amount that yields are, it can go up too. So the foreign investors coming into our markets as yields rise will limit it. And I also just, like I said, I don't think that uh, inflation is, is really going to be a super big problem. It's just that you know, so, so so the point is, could we get you know fifty to seventy five basis points higher in these longer duration bonds over the next twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, I think so. But you know, if you're thinking we're going back to seven, eight, nine percent yields on these long term bonds, I I don't think that's where we're going at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what should I do next? There's a couple of things I want to ask, but we're running out of time. Maybe um, I could get your assessment of a um, just a base case sort of positioning. So if you're you're that person that's, uh, you know, trying to de-risk the portfolio, getting a little closer to retirement, you're living in it. Um, what, what kind of allocation would you traditionally have if a, if a traditional balanced portfolio says sort of 60% stock, 40% bonds? Well, you know, it, it, let's say we're, we're 10 years away probably from, from retirement, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of age we're, we're considering. Um, w one of the issues is that, is that, it's going to be hard to – there's two things. One is return and one is preservation of capital because yeah. you can always get hit by unexpected events. So, you know, the, the problem with, say, a, a 60 or even a 50-50, uh, so 50 percent stocks, 50 percent bonds, the problem with that is, is you know, the bond portion doesn't yield – doesn't give you anything. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, part, that's the hard part. Yep. Um, and you can get some of that, you know, some of that income, like I said, through dividend growth stocks. So for me, it would probably – would be closer to, given the nature of, of bond valuations, given where we are in terms of the ec economic cycle and, and sort of the one to three year outlook, I still think you should probably be more like 55% equities uh, and, and the rest in, in some sort of laddered fixed income strategy or, or something to that effect. And um, 
and, and, and that's kind of where I am. And, and when you're closer to retirement, like I say, you want total returns and, and some of that to be income. Um, and, and so a dividend growth strategy on the equity side is, is sounds pretty sensible to me right now. Um, and it's, it's a good way to augment that total return of that portfolio. So for me, it would be more like 55, you know, percent, um, equities, the rest in fixed income and, uh, and yeah, and, that's, and that's I'll throw our compliance disclaimer in there. I mean, obviously, this is uh, that's just a base case. It is not a recommendation. Anybody in oh, particular, goodness, no. you have I mean, to take every it. individual has. Yeah, every individual has their own uh, risk. Uh, you know, the risks and their goals and, and things like that. And and you know, I don't know uh, how everyone is invested in equities. I mean, if if that fifty five percent was in you know the TSX Venture Exchange, I, I'm not sure that would be the right <laughs> allocation for anyone. So you know. Um, uh, so, needless to say, it's right to say that that's just kind of a, you know, a general thought. It's not applicable right. to all all people. Right. And directionally, uh, directionally, what uh, what Miles is saying is that it is an environment where he would be slightly overweight stocks to bonds in a traditional environment. And then there's a whole conversation, Miles, you and I, and this is not a conversation for today. Talk about the alternative space and what you can do there. Um, right. in terms of replacing some exposure in both stocks and bonds there. Listen, uh, we have to leave it there, and I know it doesn't do justice in the 20 minutes that we have to to go through this, but I want to thank you for trying to get us uh, refocused on what we've experienced in the first part of this year and kind of globally what we're looking at going forward. Appreciate all your time. Well, it was a fantastic chat. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. We've been joined by Miles Ziblock, Chief Investment Strategist for Dynamic Funds. After the break, we're going to talk about first responders uh, and we're going to talk about some training, unique training that they're getting and dealing with uh, particularly Calgarians that are getting older and facing some of those potential problems that we face as we age. Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.